Good morning, Life Center. You can be seated. It's great to see everybody here today. Um, even though winter is, seems to be upon us, it feels good in here. If you're a guest here with us today, thank you for choosing to be with us at Life Center. We're happy that you're here. We'd love to get to know you. Stop by our VIP booth and we'd like to just spend a moment and get to know you. Thank you for being here. Amen. It's great to see everybody this morning. Amen. Last week I was flying to Seattle this time uh, and I missed being here. It's just, it's not right when I miss being at, at home for uh, a week. So it's great to be back. And so we're going to jump right into where we left off last week. Pastor Scott launched our Bless series. And I'm telling you, so you guys know, you're, you've been around here long enough to know that there, there are moments in our series where, you know, it's like, it's like, eating, um, it's like eating ice cream and ice cream sundaes. There's nuts on top. There's caramel. There's chocolate. It's just lovely and, and makes you smile. And then there are times when it's like the garden tiller's out, right? And it's nothing but roots and rock and digging and pain and suffering and gnashing of teeth. Yeah, but that's what the Bless series is, right? <laughs> so the thing is, we all know that we can't live off junk food, Right? Every once in a while, you got to have some broccoli, right? Every once in a while, you got to dig in there and get some vegetables and some real nourishment. So if you can ride with us for the next few weeks, I'm telling you, the stuff that we are digging into is life-changing. But here's the thing. So today is going to be unique. I'm talking about legacy. So, so it's going to feel a little bit like this. It's going to feel like having a room full of 25-year-olds and you're selling tombstones or grave lots. Right? The market is just not mixing, right? <laughs> At 25 years old, you're like, I don't need to invest in one of those. I'm never going to need it, right? But you change that, that group and get the 60-year-olds in the group, all of a sudden they're like, give me a good deal here. I think I might be interested, right? So we're talking about legacy today, and there are times when we hear that, they were like, I just don't, I don't get it, right? Um, and, and what I really prayerfully hope that you can do with me today is, is sort of detach that mechanism in us that says this, this applies to a different age bracket or this belongs to somebody else. And just, just let the Holy Spirit talk to us. Because what we can do in, in changing the way we think and letting the Holy Spirit change the way we view things, it can set us up for a future. You have to remember that God does not deal necessarily in moments, but he deals in generations, so he'll make a promise to me that will not be fulfilled until maybe my grandchildren has, a grandchild has a child. But it doesn't change the promise, right? Because God is not locked into the 24-hour box that you and I are in. So when he builds in us and things that, principles that he shows us and teaches us, they will impact generations, not just your moment today. So that's what we're going to talk about. And there's been something that's been, has been said around here for the last few weeks, and that is this question, are you blessable, Right? That question has me thinking, am I blessable? Am I a person that, that God sees as able to receive blessings from him? We're going to unpack that a little bit, but I liked what Pastor Scott said last week when he kicked this off. He said, if I change the name of this series to the How to Have series, right? How to Have series, we get a lot more people interested, right? But, but here's the thing. Religion has kind of messed up the idea of what it means to give and sow into the kingdom of God. And we kind of have this 
if you've been around it at all, you watch it on TV, there's kind of this mentality that says, if I, if I give five, I'll get 50 <laughs> when it comes to this sowing into uh, God's kingdom. Well, there's truth to that, but unfortunately, religion has kind of warped that truth. And so now, now we've kind of come to this paid and play kind of religion thing. You know, the more I invest, the more God's going to do for me. That is just wrong. That's just wrong. And if that's your thinking today, I hope that I can debunk that like Mythbusters. Let's just kill that one, right? That's not what God intended when he said, uh, when he talked about giving, he talked about how you'd receive. That's, it, it's, it's been perverted, it's been messed up. And so we're going to change that, prayerfully change that dynamic, because if we understand what the Holy Spirit is telling us about these principles of sowing into God's economy, then we will understand what he's building through that process in us and then also in our lineage and how that affects the world that we live in. So, so it's my prayer today that, that we kind of have a paradigm shift. And, and so I just want to ask a couple of questions before we, we roll into this. And, and, and that's this question. There's a few of them, but the first one is, what kind of heritage are you leaving for your children's children? Now, if you're single, that's like a foreign concept, like I don't even get it. And, and there was a day when I didn't realize that my children would have children until I have one now. And it's a, he's the coolest dude in the world. Um, but th this thing called time continues. And, and this thing called growing a lineage actually happens. It, it actually materializes. So what kind, of, what kind of future or heritage are you leaving for them? And, and another question, what principles are you building into the fabric of your lifestyle that will guarantee the future of your children or your children's children? What am I doing today that will impact my grandson? What have I been doing when I first met my wife and we first started a family? What was I doing then that would have a direct impact on my grandson? Those are the questions that are hard for us to wrap our mind around because we're so locked into time. But when God looks at us, he looks at generations. He looks at lineage. He sees things that my grandfather may have done that will produce fruit in my children's children. So it's very important that we understand, and, and this may be hard for us to grasp, but, but what if, what if someone said to you today, you know there are a few things you could do to, get, to guarantee the success of your grandchildren? Would you be interested in that? I would be, right? If I knew that there are things I could do that could possibly impact my children or their children, then I would consider what that looks like. So with that foundation, let's dig into, into this today, and I want you just to, to have an open heart. Have an open mind. Let the Holy Spirit talk to you because this is life-changing. I believe there, we're going to boil this down to a, kind of oversimplify this concept, and that is that there is an equality that, that, that is given to all mankind, and, and it looks something like this. So, so there's a commodity that, that every human has that no one person has more than the other. It's time. Time is the commodity that is given to every person. So in other words, Jeff Bezos the owner of Amazon, who is currently the wealthiest man in the world at $112 billion with a big B, he has no more of this than a homeless person. He has no less of it than a homeless person. Every human in the world has the same amount of minutes in a day. There's a second component that's given to every person, and, and this has maybe some exceptions that would be related to a physical malady, something like that. But that is talent. Talent is something that everybody has some degree of. It may not be much. I, I, I heard a guy 
uh, speak one time at a very big church, and he said he had this special talent that he never knew what it could be used for. And it was kind of funny because he, he could make his ears pop. Like he stuck his fingers in his ears and he would make, he did this, he stuck his fingers in his ears, did this, and it made a loud pop. He's like, I don't know what talent that's going to serve or what good to humanity that's going to do, but I have this gift. <laughs> so there are these random things that I'm not necessarily referring to those, but every person has a talent of some degree. And that's a gift that is given through natural, I, I believe God crafts that when he forms us in our mother's womb, right? Those things are woven. They're a signature, I believe, that God puts on a person that says, I'm going to put these natural giftings and skills in this person. And how a person uses those will determine much of that person's life. And the third element is this. Everyone has a certain degree of this in order for us to live. Now, it's, it's, it can be measured very differently, and it's treasure. So we've talked about time, we've talked about talent, now we're talking about treasure. And treasure is not only money, but I would, I would, I would venture this concept to you that, that treasure is any usable resource that helps you sustain your life. So the ability to, to use your talent to go and work a job and get some money in return and then go to the grocery store and buy food to sustain yourself, that's treasure, right? If there are things that you've accumulated in your life, that is your treasure. You've, and everybody has some degree of this. If you have a little piece of land and you can farm it, that's treasure, right? If you have it, pretty much anybody that's living a sustainable life has treasure. So th these are that's a very basic concept of three components: time, talent, and treasure that every person has some level of. And what we what Pastor Scott talked about last week was setting the the mindset that changes from owning something to managing something. In other words, everything that God has given us has not given us for me to claim as my own, but rather, God, thank you for blessing me with this. How can I best manage this? How can I be a good steward of what you've given me so that it brings a great ROI or return on investment to you? Right? Because everything we do has some reflection of God in it. And so how I live my life and how I choose to invest my time, talent, and treasure begin, brings a direct response back to my creator. And in doing so, it opens the door for me to be a witness to people that are looking to find direction for freedom and hope, right? So, so let's look at what this looks like. If we are going to consider time, talent, and treasure as these components or commodities that we all have some measure of, how we use them, how we steward them, what does that look like? So I went to, to an Old Testament story, and back in 1 Kings, there's in, in this time period in Israel, the, the, there were prophets in the land. And basically, unlike today, they didn't have the ability to have a direct connection with God. Everything was through an oracle or through a process. And so the prophets in those days basically represented the people. And they would pray and God would speak to them and they would give direction to the people. And that's how the people followed God's leading. So in this particular case, Elijah was the prophet of the day. And so introducing this story in the 17th chapter of 1 Kings... Israel had been away from God. They were worshiping idols. They were doing all the things wrong, right? All the list of what to do, they were over here on the what not to do. They were living off this list. And God was frustrated with them. They were just being rebellious. They were being stubborn. They were being bullheaded. Nothing like we are today. We're not like that at all today. That was just them, right? And so he finally was said, okay, I'll get your attention. And the way I'll get your attention is I'll just stop the rain. And if you're a farming community, if your economy is built around agriculture, no rain is a real problem right? So, so they were in a famine and a drought. And so that's the setting of this story. And so as we launch into 
1 Kings chapter 17, uh, verse number 2, it says, The word of the Lord came to Elijah, who was the prophet, and said, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you the food there. So apparently the football team was there in those days, and they brought food to the prophet, right? That's what happened. Yeah, thank you. It only works in Maryland. Anyway, so, so God had made a provision for the prophet. So everybody else was struggling to grow crop. They couldn't grow crop. They were struggling to find food. Couldn't, and this guy had a little brook. Nobody knew about, apparently. And the birds would bring him food. I mean, how cool is that? Very cool. So, so that's where he was. He was living there. And in verse 7, it says, Sometime later, that brook dried up for obvious reasons. There had been no rain. Then the word of the Lord came to him and said, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. And pay attention here. It says it's, God made a statement to Elijah. He says, I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Verse 10. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? Verse 11. As she was going to get it, he called, Oh, by the way, bring me, please, a piece of bread. So Paul's right here. Set the stage again. Remember, famine. I mean, he was, he was pressing his luck to ask for some water. Um, but you also have to understand that this woman knew who Elijah was. She knew that he was the prophet of God. She knew that this person uh, was not just any old person. This, this was a special individual. And we read just a few verses ago that God had already set up this widow. Like, God had already orchestrated events. But you have to recognize something here. This widow, even though God had set this in motion... This widow had an opportunity to decide. Her hand was not forced. She was able to make a choice. So she knew who Elijah was, so it wasn't a random stranger. She knew who he was, so she asked for water, no problem. But then he asked for something to eat. In verse 12, she says, as surely as the Lord your God lives. In other words, I'm swearing to God. I'm not lying to you. I don't have any bread. So I'm not, I'm not telling you something that's not true. I'm telling you the honest to God's truth. I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering these few sticks here to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her in verse 13, don't be afraid. Go home. Do as you've said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me. Who is this cat? Like, really? I just told you that I'm about to make my last meal, and you want me to make some for you first. Like, who is this guy? And again, this, she knew who she was talking to. So she knew this was, an, this was basically an interchange with God of sorts, right? Because she knew who he represented, what he represented. So this, this question, this request, it was challenging. So he says, but first make a small loaf of breath for me. A small loaf of bread for me, and, and uh, what you have, bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. Verse 14, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. Pause. We're going to unpack this for a second. Okay, he asked for something first. He asked for first. He didn't say, I'll take the leftovers. God was asking for first. God had set this widow in place. 
God sent Elijah to talk to this widow. All these things were orchestrated in heaven, put all together. But yet, he gives us the ability to choose, to make decisions, to make choices. He did not force this widow's hand. But what happened was the ask was made. And the ask was made, and then right behind that was, if you do this, this is what God says he'll do for you. He'll make sure your flour doesn't run out, and he'll make sure your oil doesn't run out from now until this famine ends. So when you read the story and you know how the whole story ends, you're like, well, that's an easy question. That's an easy response. Just do it. Everything's going to be... But in that moment, it's an if-then principle, right? It's an if-then principle. That widow was, was faced with a decision that's not... Not so different than the decisions you and I face. Now, no, we're not deciding whether or not this is our last meal and, and someone's asking for it. It's not that, but, but when we're trusting God with our time, talent, and treasure, it's, it's not about starvation, but, but what if the question is, uh, I need you to commit more of your time to building community and helping people that need that kind of relationship? Or what if the question is, you know, I, I'm asking that you commit... Uh, to following the biblical financial principles and sow into the kingdom of God because there's a promise that connects to that. There's an if-then principle at play here. But God tells us what he will do, but he asks us to make a decision beforehand. I heard a preacher say one time that, that he met a, young, a man who was starting a business, didn't have much money at all, was faithful with his giving and tithes, barely making it, and he was, he was struggling then, and he asked for God. To, to bless him. So this guy prayed for him. And then years later, he sees the guy and the guy, his business was successful. He's doing great. And he started talking to him. And he's like, you know, it was easier to give then when there was not much money than it is to give now when there's a lot of money. Amen. The point to that statement is you can't look at the principles of giving time, talent, and treasure to God to the moment where, well, when I have lots of time, I'll give it to God. Or when I have lots of extra cash, well, no problem, I'll give. No, it's a principle of a lifestyle. And the promise is contingent upon the action. Faith is not faith if there's not something hanging that you can't control. <laughs> the thing that makes it faith is the fact that you don't know exactly how it's going to turn out. You're just hearing God say, I need you to take a step and trust me to put something for that foot to land on. Are you with me? That's what makes it faith. That's why the scripture also tells us that we don't walk by sight, but rather we walk by faith. In other words, we don't wait to see what God is going to do. We step first, and then we get to see what God does, right? And so this woman was faced with a decision, even though there was a promise attached to her action. And it's not by accident that God was asking for her to make that meal and to first give something back to him. It wasn't after you and your son have eaten, cut me off a little sliver and I'll take the doggy bag home. No. He was saying, if you trust me, then put it all on the table and let's watch this thing unfold. How many times does God bring us to that decision point when he says, okay, now this is where it gets real. Put all the chips down and then let's see what I'll do. You see the struggle here. The age-old struggle here is, how much control am I really able to relinquish? It's funny, really, because every Sunday we do this, right? We stand up here and we're like, we're going to have a prayer team up here, and if you don't know Christ, make your decision, come up here, we'll pray with you, 
And people will come and we'll pray with them. And it's incredible because that small interaction there is basically hanging your entire eternity on a statement of faith. We have no idea what eternity is. <laughs> we have no idea what heaven is. We have no idea of these unknown things, but we'll trust God with that huge statement of faith, and there we go. But when it comes to where we live, we will wrestle God to the nth degree for 10 bucks. Right? He'll say, give the homeless guy 10 bucks. You'll feel in your heart. And you're like, no, I don't think that's you, God. That's somebody else. That's the devil clearly talking to me right now. <laughs> I got something to do with that. You, right? It's funny, right? But it's where we'll, we'll wrestle with God over some monetary value and trust him for our com complete and total eternity. That's because eternity is without our control. We don't know what it is. We don't know where it is. We just hope we do the right thing, right? So when they close the coffin lid, we got promise for what's going to happen next, right? It's an insurance policy of the unknown. But when you talk about where we live in the elements that we do control, that's where God steps on the scene and said, okay, let me teach you what faith looks like. I find it ironic that the majority of Jesus' teaching in the New Testament is all about money. Why? Because he knows us. He made us after all. And he knows that everything we do is about control and how we can manage the things that we can control. And he's asking us to leave those things and let him have them. So we step back in verse 15. She made a decision. The widow made a decision. She went away and did exactly as Elijah had told her. So she went home. She put the flour in the pan, put the oil in the pan, stirred it up, cooked it in the fire. Took the cake, went straight to Elijah, said, here's the first bit. Eat as much as you want, we'll eat the leftovers. So there was food every day for Elijah, for the woman, and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Isn't that a cool story? I think this famine lasted for like five years, if I remember correctly. So this is a long period of time. So she had, I hope, hopefully she liked that cake because she ate a lot of that cake. <laughs> there was a recent, when I started digging here, I had a kind of a, I was reading a book that really changed my perspective on this story. I've always focused on this story from the perspective of the miracle of provision for Elijah because that's kind of the story, right? God provided food for him by ravens, by the brook, and then now there's a widow that's taking care of him. So I looked at it from that perspective, but there's really a subset to this story that really is what applies to us in this concept of legacy and what we're talking about today and living a blessed life. So the subset of that story really goes like this, that the widow is actually the key player in this story. And, and she had a son, although it's not really you know, it just mentioned in passing in that part, part I read, she's going on to make a meal for her, her and her son, and that was going to be the last of her getting ready to die. So, so she had, she had a, a life that was ending. But by taking this step of complete obedience in following the guidance that God was giving her, she secured her present and her future, and she secured her legacy because her son is part of this story. And in those days... When a woman with a child lost the husband, their life depended on, the, on their child because there was no mechanism to care for a widow if, if there was no male in the house to, to farm and to provide an income. So her entire future was hanging on this action. So here's the second part of that story 
if you read, continue reading in that chapter, you find that while this is all happening, Elijah is staying in that home. He's staying close to that home. That becomes his sanctuary. And her son falls ill. And her son dies. Her son dies. Here she is. Her future is shattered. Like I said, in those days, the, the lineage was important. It was critical. The son's life was going to sustain the mother. And now he's gone. And so because, here's the thing. Here's the thing that we often forget when we're looking at blessings from God. We think in terms of the moment, not in terms of the future. And what happened in this story is this son dies, and because Elijah was present, because God was present, drawn to this act of obedience, Elijah prays for this dead child and raises him back to life. So not only did this small act of obedience of putting God first in the action of giving something to the prophet to eat before the woman and child ate, that small act of obedience set the stage and the tone for the future legacy of this woman. God, the Bible doesn't continue the story to tell us of her son who had children and his children's children and their children's children. We don't get to know all of the story, but what we do know is by this act of obedience, her future was secured. So it wasn't just for the instant relief of having something to eat. It was for the future of her entire lineage. Just because she had made this act of giving first... Elijah, the representation of God in her life, stayed present. That's what we're talking about when we say, are you blessable? Is there presence of God in your life because of an obedient lifestyle that is causing the presence of God to rest with you? That's the deal changer. That's the game changer. When the Spirit of God dwells with you, things just happen just because he's there. Does that make sense? So how did, what does it look like when we're talking about building a legacy? You know, it's not, I'm sure, you know, it seems like I'm 47 now and I think about legacy more than I ever have. Things like retirement all of a sudden start mattering, you know? Things about what am I going to do when, all those things, right? Legacy matters. And it's not something that we think about all the time. And, and perhaps it's difficult to sort of wrap our head around those kind of things because, you know, it's like thinking about retirement and making sure you got money in your 401k and, and all those things in life and, and, and all that stuff. And, and who goes around thinking about what, what your grandchildren's spiritual foundation is? Like, do you, I, I'm, I'm doing good to make it to the end of the day, right? And, and make sure I can get up with the alarm the next morning and hit it all again, right? So we, we just live in the moment sometimes. We're not necessarily thinking about the future. But I believe that when we're talking about this, when we're talking about being blessable, when we're talking about the principle of time, talent, and treasure and stewarding what God gives to us, we have to have a paradigm shift and begin to think about what tomorrow is going to look like. Let me tell you this. The enemy of building a great future and a great legacy is instant gratification. The enemy of building a great future and a great legacy is instant gratification. And guess what? We live in a world that is designed around instant gratification. Do you ever find it funny when you're, you're on the internet, like on your phone, and you're, you're, you're about to access the wisdom of the ages, and you're like, oh, it took me two seconds. So slow. <laughs> like there was a day you had to hear, 
<laughs> right? And before that, there just was no option. <laughs> you had to wait for a letter to come in the mail or something. I mean, how did you find out? I grew up with a, a bookshelf full of encyclopedias. So if I wanted to find out something, I had to go dig it out alphabetically, find it in a book. Hopefully there was an article, or especially for me, if there was a picture there, it helped a lot. If there was a picture in there, then I, like, I get this. I know what it is, right? But then what happens if what happened was, was outdated and, and your, your set of encyclopedias was before the event? Then you had to go to your neighbor and hopefully had the newer version, right? right? We live in a society that's geared with instant... Gra- My microwave has a popcorn button. Like, I don't have to put in how much, I just push the popcorn button, right? There's hardly any meal that you can't find an instant one for, right? Come on, somebody. We kind of live in the moment. But that is the enemy of a great future because we do not think in terms of what's happening next. The mindset change that Pastor Scott talked about last week is, is key. The, the understanding the difference between owning and being a steward of, completely different ballgame. A complete paradigm shift, a complete change of the way we view what God gives us. We consider the concept of putting God first in our time, talent, and treasure. And as a result, it secures our future. But that doesn't always provide a quick, instant gratification. The give-to-get sort of philosophy is just wrong. It's just wrong. Sowing into God's kingdom to get something better is just wrong. It's the wrong principle. It's the wrong baseline. It's the wrong heart. It's the wrong motive. Basically, it's just wrong. So just forget it. It doesn't work. But when we let the principle change, our lifestyle change, and we do what that widow did, we take God's word and we make that first step, we invite God's presence into our life. And we begin to experience the blessings of God by proximity. Just because he's here, things happen. Just because he's in my space, things happen. Just because I've made a place for him to be, things happen. And I'm telling you, God is everywhere, yes, and God is in your heart, yes, but there is a conscious decision that we as people make when we choose to put God first in all the areas of our life. Time, talent, and treasure. What is God asking for first out of those things in us that make up who we are, that changes the trajectory of our future? There are people in this, this community right here that have made decisions that have completely changed their future and the future for their children. They've allowed God to transform their futures. And this is critical. This is critical. How do you know that God is blessing you? How do you know that God is blessing you? What do you look for? We have a tendency to be very one-dimensional when we talk about God's blessings. See it on Facebook all the time. This is me and my new car. Hashtag God blessings. <laughs> Whatever, right? <laughs> Whatever, right? There's all these things that we, we tend to be very one-dimensional when it comes to blessings. It has to do with dollars. has to do with things. And I'm here to just tell you to just stop a second. I'm not so sure those are necessarily aligned with the blessings of God. They may be, but they're not the end all. And here's the thing. We have to be very careful when we're looking through our life. If you, if you read the Old Testament when the children of Israel left Egypt and they're marching towards the promised land, one of the problems they always had was they were always grumbling about everything. So different from us today. Goodness. 
grumble about everything. Nothing is good enough. Nothing's not, you know, they're always grumbling. And, and what, what the essence here is, they just were not seeing the blessings of God because they had in their mind something different. We've got to be careful. Sometimes blessings may not be the addition of something, but they may be the subtraction of something. For example, trouble in your life? What if trouble's not in your life? How much better is your life going to be? What about if there was addiction in your life and now there isn't addiction in your life? Somebody talk to me about blessings? Huh? Can I get an amen on that one? Right? It's a blessing. What about heartbreak? Pain, pain, hurt in your heart that just isn't there anymore. I don't wake up in the morning and think, you know, I just feel loved today. So blessed. (laughs) Shame on me. Maybe I should. Because sometimes it's not the addition of something that's a blessing. It's the absence of something. What about if you struggle with depression your whole life, found Jesus, and it's gone? Blessing? Yes, no. Blessing. What about anxiety? You have to look at life holistically. When you're talking about blessings, we cannot be one-dimensional when it comes to blessings. We cannot be one-dimensional. We have to look at things like health. We have to look at things like our children, if you have kids. If you don't have kids, you have to look at things like uh, how your, how your, your current future, or your current uh, uh, career, your current school, whatever, whatever you're involved in that moment. Are you doing well? Are you, are, you, are you waking up in the morning healthy and strong and content? We have got to make sure that we look at things from a different perspective. How are the relationships in your life? If your relationships in your life are bringing you joy and contentment and they're adding value to your life, is that a blessing or is that not a blessing? Right? Because if your bank account's low and you have good relationships, you always have something to eat. Come on, somebody. Just kidding. (laughs) Intangibles, peace, joy, happiness, gratitude, all the things in life. I mean, there's got to be something to be said about going to bed at night and sleeping without fear and anxiety and pressure and all these things. I'm telling you, when we look holistically at blessings, if you're following Christ, they're all through your life. Don't get ensnared by this trap that says, well, they're doing better than I am, so therefore God's blessing them more than he's blessing. Don't fall for that. That is a lie. It's deception. It will, ch- it will cause you to chase down a path that will not bring you anything closer to God, but it will bring you a lot more pain and suffering. That's why when, you talk about, when Jesus talked about serving God or serving mammon, the word mammon there is talking about wealth. There was actually a god they worshipped that was called mammon, and he represented wealth. You can't serve both, right? One will take you down a path that you will never be able to find the end, and one will take you down a path that will put you on a journey that will change your whole life. How you choose to steward and manage your time, talent, and treasure will determine the trajectory of your legacy. If you choose to invest your time in a relationship with someone that needs you in their life, you're sowing into something that's bigger than you are. It's an investment of your time. Remember, everybody has the same amount. How you choose to steward the 24 that you have will determine the blessings that follow you. If you choose to give God the first of your week by coming to church, by being with other people that believe like you believe, by being here, not so that you can receive, but so you can connect with someone who is just starting this journey. You know, church isn't for you if you're a Christ follower. 
Church is for someone that's not a Christ follower. And the reason why we need Christ followers at church is to make a space for people that don't know him yet. So if you come to church, it's the only time you're fed, you're missing something, right? He's with you all the time. You've got his word with you all the time. You can self-feed as you go through your life, but you've got to be here because there's somebody new that needs a, a handshake from you, that needs a hug from you, that needs a prayer from you, that needs a connection and engagement with you. I'm telling you, you cannot sacrifice the community of believers because it produces life, right? Putting God first in your time. Join a small group. Invest some time in a person, in another person. Watch the community grow. Watch, watch life start to bubble up because you're investing your time in something that is not just directly pointing back to you. It's hard to do, but we only have a certain amount of it, and how we choose to steward it is going to produce the type of fruit that God is promising us. Make me the cake first, and I'll take care of everything after that, right? That's what he's asking for. The same thing applies to talent. Talent is the special ability that allows someone to do something well. Use that to bring a benefit and a gift to someone else. Find a single mom who has a car problem and help her fix it, right, if you know how to do that sort of thing. Does this make sense? Your neighbor's got a leaky faucet. They don't know which end of the wrench to use. Fix the faucet for them, right? There's things around here. We had work day a couple weeks ago. It's amazing. We accomplished so much stuff. It was incredible because some people just decided, I've got a talent. I'll use it. Giving back, managing it. You know, we got a lot of college kids here. How about adopting a college kid? They always are hungry and they're always poor. Help them. <laughs> Slip them a 20 at church and say, I love you. Right? Take them to lunch with you and your family. <laughs> There's all kinds of college kids in here, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> treasure. Our time, our talent, our treasure. It's not just giving the 20. It's about extending the love and opening the door. Keeping God first in our finances, giving him his first, promises a covering for what's left for us to manage. He doesn't disappoint. Cultivate a heart of generosity because generosity is what produces the fruit of love and compassion. You get around generous people, you know you're around generous people because you always feel this contentment coming from them. There's a satisfaction, a fulfillment worship team, you guys can come, that's always following people that are generous. The reason why is generosity breeds generosity. It breeds compassion. It breeds connection. You can't, you can't be generous and be detached. It, it, we've done this before. We've talked about this before, but the Bible says, Jesus teaching, he says, where your treasure is, is where your heart is. So there's a direct connection with the things we love and where we spend our money. I've heard someone say before, you know, give me your checkbook and I'll, I'll tell you where your heart is, right? I'll, I'll tell you where your passions are, whatever. bg &E gets a lot of my love, apparently. It's, the point here is it's hard to give. I'm, talk, I'm talking one-dimensional. I'm talking about finances here, just finances. It's hard to give financially and not have sort of some sort of emotional connection to it or a heart connection. So it's easy to drive by the nameless, faceless person and not invest there because there's no connection there. But if nameless, faceless person gets a name and a face and a story, then all of a sudden the purse strings kind of get loose. I don't mind helping this guy out. He, he, you know, I know his story. He needs some help. That's why community is so important. That's why God doesn't just ask for treasure. He asked for our time. He asked for our talent. 
And then he asks for our treasure. What he's asking for is the whole us. Not just our mind, not just our emotions, but he's asking for the person. He's asking for the soul. He wants you to invest your time because you get to build a relationship with someone that you did not know. We've been running rooted small groups now for several weeks. And as a result of one of those groups, tragedy happened. And as a result of that group, there were people that prayed and gave compassion and concern for someone weeks ago they would have never even known their name. You can't, you can't dive into following Christ, kind of, sort of. You know, if you were wealthy and you're like, well, I'll just give a lot of money to a church and I'll be okay. It's an empty action. It's a transaction. It's like buying bread at the grocery store. It doesn't mean anything. But when you get to know someone's name, you get to know someone's story, you get to invest a little bit of your time in their life, then all of a sudden things change. Generosity becomes a thing we are, not an action we do. And when God is asking us, trust me, I need you to make the first step. I've given you an entire book of promises. <laughs> I've given you lots of stories, lots of examples of what I can do and will do, but it's an if-then. It's because we have to literally give him our heart, not just words that come out of our mouth. And you have to think beyond this moment. What I do as a, as a dad determines the impact on my children. And unless you just don't care about your lineage, then that should make you pause and think, how am I investing my time, talent, and treasure? What am I giving to God right now? And, and it's really, it's proven over the test of time. So I just want to share a little story here with you. My dad, um, four siblings. Um, my grandfather did not come to know Christ until later in, his, later in his years, shortly before he passed. My grandmother knew God for a long time. She was the, she was the pillar in our family. And my dad's siblings did not really pursue God in their life at all. My dad was the only one out of his siblings that put God first completely and truly in his life. And so his oldest brother, hard, hard life. I, I have only a couple of memories of, of this uncle because he was the guy back in the 60s and 70s that was, he literally had, he literally had the hippie van. Like he had the hippie van. Jacked up in the, I, it, was, it was the hippie van. And he, he would be gone. He would just leave and be gone for years. And no one even knew where he was. Hard life of drugs and alcohol and addiction. And, and he would end up in halfway houses. And, and he would come home for a while. And just horrible life. And he didn't know, he didn't pursue Christ at all. My dad found him. And he was already in his late 60s when my dad finally found him, reconnected with him. And in that time of his life, he had come to know Christ and was living the last few years of his life pursuing God. Um, his other brother died young in his 50s, didn't really have anything to do with God. His kids kind of sort of went to the winds. Um, and his sister lived a very messed up life. Her kids were in all kinds of stuff, 
not very good at all. Her husband literally, literally on his deathbed. My dad had to get a, a horse trough brought into his house, filled it with water, and he and three other guys literally picked him up because he could not move and baptized him in a horse trough in his house. And he spent the last of his days, literally days, pouring his heart out to God and, and having that last, literally a bedside conversion. All this is great, right? It's great. But what is left in their legacies? There, until, until my son had a son, there was no other garrisons in our lineage. My son was the last of the garrison lineage. And God blessed me with a grandson. And God extended my grandfather's legacy. Now, I would tell you that my sister and I, just the two of us, we are as far from perfect as you could possibly get. Our family is about as dysfunctional as you can get. We love each other to death. And sometimes mileage helps. <laughs> Great family, but we are messed up. Right? We're just people, right? So there's nothing perfect here at all. So don't misunderstand. But every one of my children, my sister's children, my parents' lineage, their grandkids, and now their great-grandkids, all have a similar foundation. Every one of us love Jesus and pursue Jesus. And you know what? Our lives are far from perfect. We have issues. We have challenges. But I'm telling you, there is a blessing that has followed us that I can't outrun. At 19 years old, my dad had a conversion and he committed to putting God first. And now time has proven that that fact remains true. What he says, he finishes. It doesn't mean your life is gonna be perfect. It just means by proximity, you are blessable. There's blessing that follows you. Remember, it's not always what's added, but it's what's been taken away. There are things that I have not had to experience, pain that I've not had to endure because of a legacy. What we're talking about here, please don't get wrapped around the dollars and cents of this. Please let the Holy Spirit talk to your heart and let you know that putting God first is critical to your present and your future. And don't let the desire for instant gratification rob you of building a great future and a great legacy. I'm going to challenge you. Stand with me. I know I've been a little lengthy today. I apologize for the time. Let me challenge you. If you're, how many dads do I have in the house? How many dads? I got a bunch of dads. Dads, I'm talking to you right now. Why don't you get a picture of your family, your kids? You know, if you're, if you're having a bad day with your wife, just picture of your kids. I don't want Get a picture of your family and put it, if, you, if you're in the car a lot, stick it in your dashboard, whatever. Put it on your phone, screensaver. And when you see that picture, ask God to speak to you and check the areas in your life that you aren't putting him first. Because those eyes looking back at you are depending on you to make those decisions now.
Fight the fight for them now so they don't have to fight the fight themselves later. I'm talking to some people in this house that knows what it means to fight to survive. Can I get a yes? What if you could fight that fight so that your kids don't have to? If you're a college kid in here, single, the thought of getting married is like the furthest thing from your mind. You're facing your future. You're looking at your career. You're going to school, killing yourself because you have a goal. Take that goal. That's your talent. That's who you're becoming. And put that in the center of where you are and ask God, how does that fit in your plans for me? If I'm going to be a nurse, what is it that you're asking out of that talent from me that I can give back to you that puts you first in my career? Come on, we got to break down the walls that separate our, our outside of church world, our inside of church world, and our family life world. Break them all down. We are who we are. All those things are parts of our lives. Let's put God first everywhere so that we can leave a legacy that's enduring. Prayer team, you guys can come. I'm going to ask everybody to close your eyes. I'm going to pray before, before I'm inviting anyone to come up. Father, I, I know that, that your word is challenging for us at times. And I know that, I know that this message is not really an easy one. And I know that, that when we look across our lives, sometimes we don't really even understand what it means to put you first. Sometimes I just generally don't know. So I'm asking, God, that you would help me that in those moments when I know I'm facing decisions, God, that the Holy Spirit would speak to me and I would be obedient and I would put you first. God, to secure my present, but more importantly, to secure my future and the future of my family and my children and their, their children. God, to know that the decisions I make with my finances will determine the trajectory and, and, and the, the level of which it is blessed. And, and God, help me not to be so consumed by monetary things that I miss the blessings in my life that you are pouring out every day. Pray, God, that you would help our eyes to be open, that we can see the things that you are doing in our life that have changed us and caused us to be the recipients of such great blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for working this with us as we take this journey. And... I know, have confidence what God is doing in your life. If you have to, sit down and write down the blessings that God is putting in your life and remember what is happening. This is a big step for all of us. Going through this process is a big change for all of us. But we're, we're, we're making the shift. I think Pastor Scott asked last week, who's willing to make the shift with me, right? That's what we're asking. Let's all make a step forward. Let's move into this and let's see what God does in our life and the lives of our family. God bless you. Have an amazing week.